Good evening, everybody. Episode 130. It is Sunday, Easter Sunday to be exact. I had to skip Friday. I apologize. I needed to take a couple of days off. And it is Easter. And tomorrow is my birthday. And yes, I'm watching the baseball game on the other monitor because it's baseball season and hockey season. The greatest time on earth when both sports cross. And uh, the Avs are 14. Let's see. In the last... Uh, 14 games, 12-0-2. They have gotten points in the last 14. 26 out of 28 points. It's incredible. It is an amazing run, and they are just playing so well. Well, here's the other thing. The Astros are coming out of the gate just killing the A's and about to take four in a sweep, which is pretty good. Their bats are alive, and the bottom of their order is batting like 333. If the Astros can keep this up, they are going to be a tough team to beat. It's incredible. They're pitching. Eh. Anyway, listen, you didn't come here for this. This is episode 130. I'm a sports guy. I love hockey and baseball. Uh, Two things that I care about much. I'm going to close this down because we're never going to get it done if I don't, but they're looking pretty good at nine to two. Anyway, folks, welcome to Don't Unfriend Me. Uh, It is Easter Sunday. Happy Easter to everyone, whether you celebrate Easter or not. Have a wonderful Easter Sunday, and I will be back on tomorrow. Tomorrow is my birthday, 47 years old now, and climbing the proverbial ladder and uh, getting, I don't know about wiser, but certainly getting older, but 47 years old, pretty excited to have my birthday, and uh, things are good. Anyway, episode 130, we have a lot to talk about tonight, and uh, it's going to be a barn burner. We're going to talk about Pete Buttigieg. And Pete Buttigieg is an interesting person. It's hard for me to to say that I don't like him. Uh, he's a little magoo for me, but he was an intelligence officer in the U.S. Navy Reserve, which gives a moniker of respect. It means he's a smart guy. But there's just something about him that seems a little bit off. And this latest stunt that he has done is frustrating, and I'm going to talk to you about it tonight. We're also going to talk about COVID states versus free states. What do the numbers say? And since we should all be dead by now, those people who didn't wear masks, and I'm still living, and so is my family, we hardly ever wear masks, I'm kind of wondering what do the numbers say about the free states who basically said, no, we're going to shut down for the original shutdown for the 15 days to flatten the curve, and the ones that said freedom is, is no longer necessarily a priority for our state. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens to those numbers. And then I want to talk about immigration. I'm hearing all about the negativity about illegal immigration. And this isn't about illegal immigration. In fact, illegal and immigration have nothing to do with each other. It's not immigration if it's illegal. It's basically border jumping, and it's against the law. And essentially, you're breaking into our country. It's not legal, and therefore, it's not immigration. So I want to talk about a great immigration story, something that's inspiring that all people who want to come to this country should wait for and strive for. So that's it tonight. But first, I'm going to start off with a joke because – This Pete Buttigieg thing is about a bicycle. Reminds me of the song by Queen, Bicycle. No? Too old? Okay. The husband and his wife uh, go go on a little trip, and they get to the campsite, and he decides to let her borrow his bike. Now, he is a an avid rider, and he has a very expensive bike, but begrudgingly, he allows her to take the bike, and then she doesn't come home for hours upon hours. So he needs to contact the police and the police come and he says, I need to file a missing person. He says, well, what's going on? He says, well, my wife is missing. She went mountain biking yesterday and has not come home. 
And the officer says, well, how old is she? And the husband says, well, I'm not sure. Somewhere between 25 and 35, we don't do birthdays. And the officer says, fine, what's her height? I'm not sure, a little over five feet. Officer says, weight? He goes, don't know, not slim, not really fat. I would never ask a woman how much she weighs. And the officer says, okay, well, what are the color of her eyes? Sort of brown, I think, but kind of blue. Officer says, color of her hair? Husband says, well, changes a couple times a year. Maybe dark brown. Now I really can't remember. Police officer says, well, what she was, what was she wearing? Could have been pants or maybe a skirt or shorts. I really don't know exactly. And the officer says, fine. Well, what kind of bike was she riding? Husband says, well, she took my bike. The officer says, well, what kind of bike is it? And the husband says, a 2020 manufactured 17, September 16th, pearl white custom built hardcore titanium Skylar hardtail with a 64.5 degree head tube angle and a reach of 490. Shimano XTR M9100 drivetrain, 12 speed, 10, 51 cassette, Hope Tech E3, E4 brakes with Hope floating rotors, Fox transfer factory dropper post with a wolf tooth lever, race face Atlas system, and the Race Face Atlas 35 riser bar with 800 millimeter DMR death grip, Ergon SM Enduro saddle, Crank Brothers Synthesis E11 carbon 27.5 set with Maxxis DHF 2.6 tire in front and Max and Recon 2.6 in the rear, Industry 9 Hydro Classic CL hubs, and a Race Face Chester pedal pedals with a RockShox Lyric RC2 150 millimeter fork. And at this point, the husband started to choke up and the officer says, take it easy, sir. We'll find your bike right now. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. Well, thank you guys. That was a long joke. And uh, I have a couple bike friends. Ryan Strofa is one of them. And uh, he'll find it funny. Either way, hope you did. Folks, welcome to Don't Unfriend Me. Who am I? What do I do? My name is Matthew Spear. I am the host of Don't Unfriend Me. I bring this to you today, well, because I started Don't Unfriend Me about six months ago, and I did a rant on Facebook, and it was popular with some of my friends from Texas and local neighbors, and they said, hey, why don't you do a show? So Don't Unfriend Me was born, and during that time, lost a good friend of mine who said, well, your wife voted for Donald Trump, so therefore you're no longer a friend of mine, which I found very interesting. And Don't Unfriend Me was born. You can find us here, don'tunfriendme.com, on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And if you are on YouTube right now, you can head right here and click that little red envelope to subscribe. And if you're on Facebook, hit like, share, follow, all that type of stuff. It helps. We've been seeing a lot of the memes go viral, which is great. We're pushing. We hit 14,000 follows, over 13,000 likes, and we're this far away from 15,000 follows. Thank you so much for your shares. Everyone helps. Please do. And get these videos out, too, because they help as well. This is the whole point of Don't Unfriend Me. Memes are fine, but there's a million and one meme sites, and I would like to think that the that the show is better than memes. But, hey, you share any way you want, and that is your prerogative. So thank you for stopping by. And let's get started with episode 130. It starts off with two 2019 Chevy Yukons. These are four-wheel drive, extra-large, 6.2-liter V8 engines. 
They're 31-gallon tanks. They get about 14 miles per gallon highway, about 20 miles per gallon. They are gas-guzzling and horrible for the environment. Not that I really care because I believe you should own whatever you want. But for somebody who is a transportation secretary, you think that they would care a little more about it. We'll go into some details, but first I want to show you this video. And Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg being the transportation secretary, has had some opportunities to do photo ops that make him look chivalrous or make him look noble or like a warrior. Well, in this case, it makes him look like a sensitive, metrosexual beta male who rides a bike with $800 shoes and high-rise skinny suit pants with a helmet, with a light. And what's funny is that he was actually given credit for being a safe bicyclist, which I don't know anything more metrosexual than that. Pete Buttigieg is an open homosexual, which means nothing to me. I don't care. Good for him. I don't weigh that on his character. I also don't weigh his military service to make him a great man just because he served, but he is because he served. I don't like his policies. He is as fake as a $3 bill. He reminds me very, very much of Mitt Romney. He smiles through his teeth, and honestly, if he got too close to any heated surface, he would melt. He's so fake. But here's a video of Mr. Buttigieg that I think you will find funny. As he woke up in the morning and obviously brushed his teeth at least four times and combed his hair as many, decided to ride in on Yukons with eight Secret Service agents. Eight. The vice president doesn't have eight. But Pete Buttigieg does. Eight Secret Service in these Yukons as two blocks from the White House as he goes to the Department of Transportation, decides to park in behind some brownstone apartments and also a few trees and proceed to detach his bicycle from the Yukon as the Secret Service agents do it, not him. And he then rides into work for photo opportunities, of course. Well, unbeknownst to him, a resident in one of these brownstones decided to record the whole thing, and I'm going to share it with you right now. Look at that. Nice suit. You can hear the guy in the background going, why is he riding from two blocks away? Why does he have two trucks? You can see the first truck right there, and the other one is off to the right-hand side. Waiting for the opportune moment. He's got his blinking light. How cute. There's all the Secret Service making sure it's clear, making sure nobody's videotaping, and they're going to give him the green light to go. So the whole point of this, obviously, is to make Pete Buttigieg look like this woke environmentalist, that he cares about the environment. But if you're driving two Chevy Yukons that basically took about three tanks of gas just parking there, explain to me, what's the benefit? Well, it's all optics, which is constantly what most liberals do. Now, you don't see a lot of Republicans do this because they don't get on the side of stupid causes. This is the thing. You don't see Republicans at abortion clinics doing photo ops. You don't see them at the local churches 
you don't see them at constitutional rallies for the uh, the, the 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 three percenters. Ultimately, Republicans do different things. They take photo ops with the military, the NRA, things of that effect. But this. This is just trash. Every single person knows that Pete Buttigieg does not ride his bike. He doesn't ride his bike cross country when he on his presidential campaign or when he and his boyfriend go on a cruise. They don't paddle a boat. Now, it's just ridiculous. It's optics. And anyone in their right mind will know the difference. The transportation secretary was mocked heavily after this video of his staff removing a bike from the back of an SUV so the secretary could ride it to the White House emerged. Buttigieg's secretary and security, or excuse me, security detail followed him in a pair of gas-guzzling Chevy SUVs as the millennial secretary made his way to the White House for President Joe Biden's first cabinet meeting as commander-in-chief. Pete Buttigieg has a history of gimmicky stunts just for show, like doing a desk job on a military base for a few weeks, then trying to pose as a combat veteran. I want to be clear. He never posed as a combat veteran. He was wearing BDUs because he was overseas. He was an intelligence officer, which means, yes, he was in a skiff in a secure area. There's no doubt in my mind. However, traveling through the green zone and getting from point A to point B, I promise you he did see some sort of rocket fire. Combat is decided by did he return fire or fired upon? And honestly, it's a thin line. His CO probably and has said that he could qualify for combat. The point is, is that there's danger all over the place. It's danger when you go overseas and in a ship. If you put, jump in a plane or jump out of a plane, if you fly a plane, there's always dangers. The military is what it is, and Pete Buttigieg certainly wasn't hiding from it. He was overseas, he was an officer, and he was doing his job. I don't think he was posing, and he even said, listen, yes, I was in areas where I heard bombs going off and rockets, but I'm not going to compare myself to combat veterans. So people need to get off his ass for that, because honestly, he is not stealing valor, like Blumenthal, who is a piece of shit. Radio host Mark Simone said that of the incident referencing to Buttigieg's service with the Navy. The secretary deployed to Afghanistan in 2014 and worked as an intelligence officer and armed driver. Sebastian Gorka, a conservative commentator, called Buttigieg the Alfred E. Newman of the Biden cabinet, which I completely agree with. In a Newsmax appearance referencing a nickname former President Donald Trump gave to Buttigieg during the 2020 election, Gorka added that Biden's administration was built on lies and is full of propagandists. Author Jack Posobiec called the transportation secretary the fakest of them all and amoral in a tweet accompanying the video of the secretary's jaunt. Some commentators pointed out that Buttigieg has been an advocate of transformative energy and climate policy and that his bike stunt doesn't compensate for the emissions that are released by the two SUVs flanking him. The National Highway Transportation Association praised Buttigieg for following safe biking practices by using a helmet, light, and reflective gear on his ride in the middle of the day. The secretary has faced criticism in recent weeks for saying that a mileage tax shows a lot of promise. However, the Democrats have already shot this down because they understand there's nothing that people hate more than gas pump prices raising. But of course, the Democrats have already moved on from this because they have a secondary plan on how to take you at the pump. The gas tax used to be the obvious way to do it. It's not anymore. So a so-called vehicle miles traveled tax or mileage tax, whatever you want to call it, could be a way to do it, Buttigieg told CNBC last week, adding that the administration was open to an increase in the gas tax if 
There's a way to do it that doesn't increase the burden on the middle class. Well, I'm here to tell you, gas prices do indeed burden the middle class, including small businesses. Why do you think places like Grubhub and these food delivery services can actually survive right now? Well, it's because the gas prices are low. Why do you think places like Domino's Pizza, Pizza Hut, went almost went out of business and stopped delivering in some cases in some cities because gas prices were almost $5 a gallon? If you do this, it cripples the middle class. It always does. But Democrats don't care. They have to pay for their ungodly spending. The proposals were not included in Biden's $2.1 trillion infrastructure plan, which establishes of a clean electricity standard, $174 billion investment in electric cars, the creation of a civilian climate core, they make fun of him for Space Force, and a requirement that federal buildings be powered by green energy. Instead of using a tax on fuel consumption as a way of financing transportation infrastructure, if you don't know, a VMT fee charges motorists based on the road usage measured in mileage. These changes can be either a flat fee a fixed number of cents per mile, regardless of where or when the travel occurs, or a variable fee based on considerations such as time of travel, congestion levels on a facility, type of road, type of weight of the vehicle, vehicle emission levels, and the ability to pay of the owner. Or it can be a combination of flat and variable fees. There are different ways a VMT fee can be implemented in a broad sense. The application of VMT fees is envisioned through the use of an onboard vehicle device to capture the distance driven by a vehicle through GPS or other technology and relate that to a method of charging, which could involve payments at the gas pump, billing, or automatic deductions for a prepaid customer account. GPS units on board a vehicle can record distance, assign it to the appropriate taxing jurisdiction, and calculate the amount owed. Only the final billing information would have to be released outside the unit to protect privacy. Right, because the government always wants to protect your privacy. Since 2000, fuel tax revenues have declined significantly as a result of less driving and increasing fuel efficiency. As fuel tax revenues dwindle, policymakers have to divert billions from the general fund and other transportation funds to pay for infrastructure. This increasing pressure on transportation policymakers to search for new viable road financing mechanisms. And that, most importantly, is the sentence you should pay attention to. I want you to know two things. The Democrats are positioning. They've seen the memes. They understand that raising gas prices, since it hasn't been done since 2000, is extremely, extremely unpopular. The states have done it. But the federal tax has stayed relatively the same. And the reason why is because it is an unpopular move. And a presidential killer, although not always the responsibility of the president, unless he puts regulation on oil processing and imports and exports, which Joe Biden did, which it's his fault these prices are going up, no matter what Facebook tells you, those taxes going up would most assuredly impact him in the next election. So what will they do? Well, this is what they do. They go ahead and play a Rob Peter to pay Paul. They won't hit you at the pump, but they want to do this new taxation of the miles that you drive. So a pizza delivery person, if they drive 40, 50 miles a night, will be taxed for their mileage with a GPS locator that will track them. They could probably also use phones considering that they have that function, but this would be most assuredly mandatory. There's two things that that does. It supplements the gas tax at the pump. But it's just another way to tax you. But here's where it really comes down. If they have your speed, your location, the amount of distance traveled, they will also know if you're breaking the law. 
Now, the one thing that Democrats started in some of these liberal cities were cameras at traffic stops for illegal U-turns and running red lights. And then all of a sudden you would be flashed and you would receive a ticket in the mail. This has been found to be unconstitutional as entrapment, and a lot of cities are getting revoked, but the state levels are continuing to push it. But the federal government has said that it actually is unconstitutional. So is a GPS tracking your mileage. But trust me, if this passes, which it most assuredly will in some form, because they have to pay for this infrastructure bill, because not only do they have COVID relief, they have another two point some odd six trillion infrastructure, they are spending more in the first three months than Donald Trump did in four years. They have to pay for it some way. And the greatest way to do that is automated speeding tickets, something you haven't heard. I promise you, nobody's talking about this on the news, but this is something I'm predicting now. This is the next step. And by the time that the Supreme Court finds it unconstitutional, they will have made millions upon millions in traffic violations. This is the way that the Democrats think. And when they lose one revenue stream, they find another. As if they lose black voters and Hispanic voters, they want to empower criminals and children to vote. This is what they do. This is their base. And this is what they're known for. To prove this point, last year, members of the Washington State Transportation Commission, the WSTC, ran a pay-per-mile pilot program. The program tested several options, including a GPS-enabled transponder attached to your car and a mileage reporting app for your phone. The gentleman that took part in this, he was a pilot participant, and he tested both tracking methods. Since many bureaucrats believe that gas taxes are dropping more rapidly, that they really are They are in a hurry to replace the gas tax with a mileage tax, so it is no surprise that commission members are now rolling out their marketing campaign for the tax by leaning heavily on survey results from pilot participants who make up less than 0.03% of the state's licensed drivers. This is very similar to how radio stations track listeners on satellite radio and normal radio stations. It's because they don't have a tracking module built into the vehicles it is a voluntary thing and they say we'll give you this much amount off of your bill if you carry this tracker and when you listen to a station it'll tell us the results but it's a very small infinitesimal amount of people and it doesn't necessarily make up the collective either does this there are problems with this the state has bond obligation debt tied to gas tax revenue and that legislation is for the next 50 years So what is likely to happen is the public will end up with both taxes on the books, just like toll roads. You know how they say, we'll just toll you you until it's paid off. Well, Houston, Texas has 500 toll roads. All of them have been paid off, I promise you, with the amount of people that live there. And there's still toll roads today. This is what the government does. They lie. Officials promise that, and if you don't know, toll roads, once they have reached their payoff amount that was prescribed and the quotes of what they would actually cost the general public, they put these toll roads roads in and then they're supposed to take them down and make them freeways. It's not what they do because they lie. Officials promise the gas tax we pay will be credited back to us on mileage tax bills. Once again, interest-free loans to our government. But as we witnessed last session and other sessions previous to President Trump, Legislative promises are often broken, rendering them meaningless. The commission will also likely say that any per-mile charge should be constitutionally protected by the state's 18th Amendment, which restricts money drivers pay for highways and bridges only, making it a user fee. The gas tax cannot be used to fund transit or other government programs. However, the commission also knows that this contradicts what powerful state public agencies say they want, which is the ability for transportation dollars to go into an unprotected general pool of money that public officials can spend on mass transit 
road diets, and other ideological initiatives. This is what they actually mean when they say the money will be used for transportation rather than highway funding. For the driving public, the hardest pill to swallow may be the violation of privacy with either the state or a contractor tracking where you go and how often and when you where you drive. The natural proclivity of government is to store and use private data once it's collected. The commission says that personal information cannot be disclosed without consent or knowledge unless required or permitted by law. Right. That's what they said about the Patriot Act as they checked all of our emails and our Facebook accounts and still do today. The problem is no one believes them. To make this proposal even more unpalatable, Seattle officials say they want to use a mileage tax to restrict access to downtown streets to only those drivers who agree to enroll in the tracking program. So now it's like East Germany. You can't come in unless you pay a toll. Further, for those who are enrolled, officials envision a mileage tax that they could increase based on time of day and driver location, taking more money during the busiest hours of the day when people are trying to get to work or back home to their families. Throughout last year's pilot project, the commission argued time and time again that a per-mile tax would simply replace the gas tax to help pay for roads, yet the commission itself questions whether spending the tax revenue only on roads is the right approach. This won't work. One is it's unconstitutional. Two, it's voluntary. The moment that they make it mandatory, things have to change. And the gas tax will have to come off because you can't double tax like that. You can certainly tax me for income, tax me for state, tax me for my property, tax me for my schools, tax me for my fishing license. And then when I die, tax me again. But what are you going to do after I'm dead? And then when I gift it to my family, you're going to have to tax them too. A little bit different. If you're going to tax gas twice, you're going to have to sell this to the public. And the only way you're going to is to replace the federal tax on gas. But once you do that, you're going to lose income. People are driving less. People are driving smart cars. People are driving electric cars. People are taking mass transit. People are carpooling. All of the things they've been telling us we have to do, get rid of these gas guzzling vehicles. It'll be okay. Just do it. And we have listened to them and done what they said. And now... They want even more control. My advice, buy an SUV gas guzzling son of a bitch because if they're going to tax you anyway, you might as well pollute as much as you can and piss off a liberal while you're driving down the highway. For a little girl growing up in Colombia in the 1980s, a science career with NASA may have seemed about as likely as setting foot on a faraway planet. These days, however, Diana Trujillo is an aerospace engineer. In fact, she leads a 45-person team at the NASA laboratory. This laboratory is responsible for the robotic arm of the the latest Mars rover. How did Diana go from simply dreaming about the cosmos to actually exploring it? That's a tale of perseverance that was perhaps written in the stars. Born in 1983, even as a young girl, Diana was certain of her passion for science, but she doubted how far she'd be able to rise in the male-dominated field. Fate stepped in when her dad, think of having, uh, thinking having a second language might expand his daughter's horizons, offered to send her to live with an aunt in Miami. Only 17 years old at the time, she took him up on it. With just $300 to her name, Trujillo took a series of housekeeping jobs to put herself through Miami-Dade College. In addition to learning English, she studied aerospace engineering. It wasn't easy. Sometimes she had to take six buses just to get to class. Other days, She was cleaning bathrooms to help pay her way through her studies, but she didn't complain. 
She says, I saw everything coming my way as an opportunity, Diana told CBS News. I didn't see it as, I can't believe I'm doing this job at night, or I can't believe that I'm cleaning a bathroom right now. It was just more like, I'm glad that I have a job and I can buy food and have a house to sleep. Then came another life-changing moment for Trujillo. One of her professors casually mentioned they were actually acquainted with an astronaut. Realizing she was just one person away from knowing an astronaut was all it took to galvanize Diana's career goals. Trujillo continued with her studies, becoming the first Hispanic woman to be admitted to the NASA Academy. She did so well, she was only one of two students to receive a job offer from the prestigious institution. A story of perseverance. While at the NASA Academy, she was introduced to robots expert Brian Roberts. Recognizing her potential, he invited Trujillo to join his NASA space robotics research team at the University of Maryland, where she went on to earn her bachelor's degree in aerospace engineering in 2007. Later that year, she became a team member of NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. Since then, Trujillo has won has worn many hats as America's space agency, including as mission lead for the Curiosity rover in 2014, for which she got the nod as one of the 20 most influential Latinos in technological industry. In the technological industry, a voice for everyone. Diana hasn't stopped there. This February, when the Perseverance rover landed on the surface of Mars, it was accompanied by commentary from Trujillo in what became NASA's first ever Spanish language transmission. She followed up that coup by hosting the agency's first ever Spanish language broadcast, Cuantos Perseveramos, maybe, Together We Preserve, which has since gone on to rake in more than 2.5 million hits on YouTube. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Trujillo has won numerous awards in her field, most recently the Congress of Colombia's Order of Merit, the Policarpa Salavariata. I don't know. Encouraging others to reach for the stars. It's not Japanese and Russian. I really can't do this. Along with her ongoing scientific endeavors, Diana Trujillo continues her mission to lead by example, encouraging women from marginalized backgrounds to pursue careers in STEM fields. If it takes a rocket to shatter the glass ceiling, so be it. Diana's own story is just proof that just beyond that barrier lies an entire universe of opportunities waiting for anyone willing to work hard enough to reach for the stars and not make excuses at why they can't reach it. This and these are the stories that we should be sharing. I don't care who you are. America is absolutely the land of the free. It is the home of the brave, and it is the land of opportunity. And people come here for the chance to be great, I'm so tired of hearing about cages. I'm so tired of hearing about the border. We need controlled immigration in this country because without it, we're not a country. We're a landmass being waited to be infiltrated by anybody who wants to come with ill or good intent. And we can't tell. Having some sort of regulation is important. We should only accept the best in the United States. Because we are the greatest country in the world. And you can say we're not. And you can bring on all of these things and you've watched a TV show where it challenges that. Or maybe you heard a commentary or read a book. But I will tell you, I have lived in a lot of different countries. And America is the best. It also has some very, very large downside. And the way that we treat immigrants is one of them. Now, do I believe DACA? Everyone should be allowed a free pass? Absolutely not. Immigration single-handedly is one of the most important issues for me because I believe it downtroddens American citizens. It takes jobs away from people. It lowers our GNP. 
It lowers morale of the inner city. And ultimately, it creates a distant delineation between what America is and what it should not be. We are not Mexico. We are not El Salvador. We are not Puerto Rico. We are not Honduras. We are not Russia. We're not China. We're not Australia, no matter how many take. But if we do open our borders for everybody, eventually we will lose our identity as Americans. And stories like this will be a thing of the past. The last thing I'll say is if America is so damn bad, then why does everybody want to come here? When COVID-19 first came to our shores, it presented policymakers and elected officials with a crisis like nothing in living memory. In the years since, states have taken markedly different approaches to pandemic policy. Some like New York embraced sweeping government lockdowns and top-down mandates, while others like Florida and South Dakota took a more humble, hands-off government approach, trusting individuals to make the best decisions for themselves. The results are in, and they are overwhelmingly vindicating the free states over the authoritarian experiments. First, we saw the states with the harshest restrictions didn't necessarily achieve the best COVID death outcomes. Florida has fared far better than New York and New Jersey, For example, and multiple studies have found no correlation between lockdown stringency and death rates. Yet, lockdowns have come at an enormous economic and human cost. We've seen mental health problems and child suicide spikes, an increase in domestic violence, an uptick in drug overdoses, and much, much more, which we've covered on this show plenty of times. And of course, the economic toll of shutting down businesses and criminalizing non-essential livelihoods has been devastating. The national unemployment rate was a, was, a, was a poor, if not disastrous, 6.2% in February, but it got all the way up to 21% under Donald Trump. Yet the just-released state-level unemployment rates for the last month show that the devastation hasn't been equal across the board. New Labor Department data reveal that many free states have returned to nearly their pre-pandemic unemployment rates, while lockdown states dominate the wrong end of the list. Hands-off states such as South Dakota, Utah, Nebraska, New Hampshire top the list with unemployment rates hovering around a stellar 3%. States that received enormous flack for eschewing drastic lockdowns like Georgia and Florida both rank in the top 20. Perhaps the only obvious outlier is Texas, which ranks poorly with an unemployment rate of 6.9%. But then again, Governor Greg Abbott only rolled back the remaining restrictions in the Lone Star State Earlier this month, there were restrictions. They also have a very large immigration problem. Meanwhile, the worst 10 states with unemployment rates from 7 to 9% include lockdown-happy localities like New York, New Jersey, California, Hawaii, Massachusetts, D.C., and Rhode Island. There is a clear trend here. Free states have largely avoided the labor market carnage associated with the COVID pandemic while lockdown states have wrought higher unemployment levels without guaranteeing better pandemic health outcomes. As famed economist Thomas Salwell said in Complex Issues of Public Policy, there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. There was never an easy answer to the COVID pandemic, but the economic health and social outcomes of free states all suggest that they made the right call in rejecting the authoritarian instinct embraced by too many of their neighbors. I will be honest with you. We went out for the first time in a while where my daughter held up the mask and said, dad, here's the mask. And I said, we're not wearing masks anymore. We're done. We have been wearing these masks for a year. 
everything that they told us was wrong. It'll slow the spread. People won't die. We'll keep the numbers down. Their projections were that 2 million people would die. And yes, more people will die of COVID. And as as everyone has known, it is dangerous for those with pre-existing conditions and hardly a cold for anyone else. Yes, there are things that can happen every single day. We can all get cancer. We can get hit by an asteroid. By the way, the sun is going to be safe for 100 years, NASA says, that no asteroids are within range. We have that to look forward to. But stopping COVID and stopping a virus has been a futile effort for every major virus that has run rampant in the world. Cancer is a virus. Common cold is a virus. Herpes is a virus. None of these are curable. We found ways to sustain. We found ways to inoculate. But overall, the greatest fighter of COVID is our own human bodies, if your body is up to the task. And if it is not, you do the same thing for the litany of other diseases. You shelter in place during the months that they run rampant. You wash your hands. You should wear a mask in public. And you should stay home if you should. And this is the recipe that we've had for our elderly and susceptible to these diseases since we have started documenting since the bubonic plague. Nothing's changed. We tried to flatten the curve. We've tried to go ahead and give everyone their vaccines. And like everything, the disease will transform into something else. And next year, we will face the newest pandemic. It comes down to this. I'm done wearing masks. I'm done being scared. I'm done being afraid. If a business asks me to, I will because they're asking. But these mandates that they're continuing to talk about, trying to hold on to this pandemic, to make it relevant, to continue to put us all in fear and against each other, is a waste of our time. We have more important things to do. We have to worry about China. We have to worry about infrastructure, buildings and bridges falling apart. We have to worry about our economy. We have to worry about our national defense. We have veterans to take care of. We have a relationship to heal with our fellow Americans. This division is insane. And it's amazing that it came just at the perfect moment during the re-election of Donald Trump, like the Zika virus came during Hillary Clinton's run. There's always something to be fearful of. There's always a reason to vote for a Democrat. It's never because of their politics. It's never because of their economy. And honestly, it comes down to social platforms and fear and promises that will never be kept. Well, there's a promise that I have right now. I'm done wearing a mask, and I'm done living in fear, and I recommend you do the same. Watch baseball and hockey, especially the Astros and the Avalanche, which are kicking a whole bunch of ass. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for my show tonight. Thank you for coming by. Episode 130, tomorrow, episode 131. I know you can count. It'll be my birthday, and it'll be a special day. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll do something fun, hopefully, and you enjoy it. Please throw me a like, share, and a follow for my birthday. That would mean a great deal. You can join me on YouTube right over here. Click the little red envelope or on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Like, share, follow, continue to do what you're doing. Thank you for the growth. We're almost almost at 15,000. Never would have thought it was possible. Please stop by my website, www don'tunfriendme.com. Visit, say hello, stop by, watch a video, listen to a podcast, do whatever you want to do. And how I go out is the way I always go out. Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Press 1. 22 veterans commit suicide a day. It is way too many. Please help a veteran. Make the phone call. Take the time. It is that important. Folks, thanks so much. I am out, and I will see you tomorrow.